stop by the website this week uh, and take a listen. Um, Sean's final application point is that we needed to participate in the work that God is doing. And, and I got to tell you, I was blown away um, because um, I have been uh, working for the last month or so on the message. Sean and I have not talked uh, at all. And as he is finishing up his message and talking to him about participating, it's like, wow, God, that's where I'm starting this Sunday. Um, and so that was really cool, and um, it, was, it was just one of those moments where it's like, thank you, God, for uh, working uh, and, and being patient, patient and faithful with us and moving us in the in right direction, uh, and that was so good. Um, I have been practicing for some time now the diligence of praying in advance, praying in advance for decisions that need to be made, for conversations that I know are coming, even for how God might use me in my regular day-to-day -day schedule. Know, in the humdrum and in, 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 the, in the regular of life. And I ran across a book review in a magazine article that put into words the spiritual work that I've been diligently searching out, the behavior that I've been trying to practice. Uh, it's been a fascinating read for me. And in my praying and my reading and my contemplation, it all brought me back to this, this painting uh, that, that I saw in Palestine last June. It was, it was really just, just a great moment. So, so this last month, last Sunday's uh, sermon by Sean, the closing, the beginning, man, it was, it was all just really been an encouragement to me. And I, and I start here with this picture. Galilee, we were on a plane, we were close to the sea, we were walking through a newer discovery of a, a first century synagogue. It's really good, people worshipped 2,000 years ago. It's pretty great to be in an old church, um, an old, old place of worship. While we were there, we were led to a lower room and shown this painting. It brought many of our folks to tears, and we, we paused for some time in this room. This painting happened in Galilee. Happened when Jesus was surrounded by hundreds of people. After he had had a conversation directly with someone and was intentioning to go somewhere. And a woman in the last grasp, literally, of life reached out her hand in hope that the touch. Start there today, and the way his words to 
So when Jesus had again crossed over by boats to the other side of the lake, now, let's, let's get some perspective. We're in Galilee, we're on the plain, that means we're on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. Um, and Jesus went across the back and forth across the Sea of Galilee on a boat often uh, because there was another obstacle north of the Sea of Galilee and south of the Sea of Galilee. Anybody know what that obstacle is? The Jordan River. Um, and, and a lot of times of the year, the Jordan River, well, actually before it had been robbed of a bunch of water for irrigation, um, used to flood, and it was impassable. Uh, and so the regular way that everybody had on a regular basis, on a normal basis, uh, to cross that divide was the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus would often cross uh, all times of the day across the sea to get from one side to the other. Uh, Jesus, before this, if you read ahead in Mark chapter 4, was over in the area of what's called the Decapolis, the Ten Cities. And, uh, and so he was going to go back over to Galilee. And so Jesus is going from the east side of the lake over to the west side of the lake. He's going in the daytime this time. Um, the boats on the lake, on the Sea of Galilee, are fishing boats. Uh, in Jesus' day, fishing boats were out at night, and they came in in the day. So if you ever read and you wonder, how in the world every time Jesus showed up on a seashore, there were hundreds of people? Well, because most of the time, the boats were already put away for the day. So word got around, if there is a solo boat coming across the sea in the middle of the day, guess who it might likely be? <laughs> the healer is coming to town. Let's go. <laughs> so, so Jesus is over the Decapolis. He gets in the boat. He comes, they come rowing across the lake. By golly, they got to the side of the lake and a large crowd gathered around him. Gathered around him while he was by the lake. He didn't even hurry to get off the boat. And there they are. Hundreds of people right there. One of the synagogue leaders now. So there's a crowd around him and one of the important folks. Parts of the crowd walks up to Jesus in the middle of the crowd. His name was Jairus. Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he this did not happen often in Jesus' lifetime that a synagogue leader would fall at Jesus' feet. This was a pretty incredible moment. He fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Man, what, what a testimony of faith. So Jesus, Jesus went with him. We don't know if Jesus had something else to do that day. We don't know if there was a particular purpose why he crossed over, uh, landed on this piece of shore, but he does. Um, Jairus meets him. They have a conversation, and with purpose for the day, off he goes to Jairus' house. Crowds around him. Well, now there's a buzz. Jesus is going to go heal somebody. Let's go see what's going on. Um, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. I picture down on the waterfront, downtown Portland, have you been on the weekend in the summertime when there's some kind of event going on down on the waterfront of the park there and there are hundreds and thousands of people and you walk and you're, you know, you're trying not to bump into anybody? Here we are, boom, pressed in on. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. Now, I want to explain that. That doesn't mean that the doctors caused her suffering. Okay? Uh, I was reading that this week, and I thought, eh, we better explain it. That means this poor lady had gone to doctor after doctor, and had continued to suffer the same thing, and had not gotten healing for that. As a matter of 
Um, and, uh, and, and, and there's not much life there um, outside of whatever water touches. There isn't much of that around. Um, but they're on a path. When you're on a path, where do you look? Down the path. So Jesus has all these people. And there's a short little Jewish guy that wants to see Jesus. And so he goes and he scrambles up into this shrubbery little tree. Um, and he's waiting to be able to see Jesus up over the crowd. So, sycamore tree isn't like an Oregon tree, okay? <laughs> you know, it's not like he climbed up in a, in a tall fir tree and he's looking down. He's in this scrubby little sycamore tree, just barely above the eyesight of the crowd to be able to get a picture of you of Jesus. And Jesus, for whatever reason, in that moment that he comes by Zacchaeus, gets a nudge, and he looks over, and he calls out by name. We have no Another day, Jesus is out with the people, he's with the tons of people. As a matter of fact, he's at a party, at a wedding party. Um, and, you know, wedding parties, once the official ceremony is over, are pretty chill. And he's just hanging uh, and just enjoying the wedding party. Uh, and uh, something terrible happens at the wedding party. Um, now, Jesus is teaching, and again, he's out with the crowds, he's with people, 
uh, and gets invited to someone's house. He goes in, and there's so many people, they don't all fit in the house, uh, and so they're in the doorway, they're in the windows. Uh, they didn't have glass in that day, so they just pulled back the shutters, and people are peeping in through the windows, listening. Uh, it is so crowded and so full that you can no longer get into Jesus physically. Uh, he is surrounded. There, of course, is word that Jesus is in town, and there's a lame man that has four, man, really great friends. And they come to Jesus because uh, often at these gatherings, Jesus, for whatever reason, does a healing. They can't get in to see Jesus, uh, so they do the next best thing, as good friends would do. They go get up on the roof. Now, in America, we think, my goodness, these guys climbed up on a 412 pitch. And, uh, no, um, that isn't what they had. There were stairs out on roofs because uh, in Jesus' day, you had stone walls around your house, and then you put logs across at, at, a, at a spacing, and you would put straw down and mud and straw and mud, and it ended up with this flat surface that would get baked in the Palestinian sun. And you would actually, you would store grain up there, you'd store things up there, it doesn't rain a whole lot, reality. Um, and so there was this very useful space. And so they clamber up, I think unnoticed, onto the roof. And that's where it all goes sideways for what's going on inside the house. Um, because all of a sudden, as Jesus is teaching, <laughs> guys start banging on the roof. Now, now, this is a violent thing. There is baked, caked mud on the roof and straw and mud and straw. And these guys want to get to Jesus. So they start picking through this poor guy's roof. Can you imagine me and the homeowner sitting next to Jesus? My roof. I don't think this is in my homeowner's policy. Um, they didn't have insurance back then. Um, all teaching stops in the house, seriously. Yes? Are you with me? Uh, poor Jesus trying to do this, and all of a sudden the roof is coming, and his straw is falling down. And... and and then this hole opens up, and this guy comes down through the roof. And Jesus is, I am certain, fully aware of why this guy is coming down through the hole in the roof. And what we think would be the nudge for Jesus that day does not end up happening. What is Jesus' first response to the man as they get eye to eye as he comes down? It isn't you are healed. The nudge for Jesus that day is your sin is forgiven. Well, that elicited a response from the religious leaders of the day. Saying, well, wait a minute. This man forgives sins. Only God can forgive sins. That means Jesus is saying he is. <laughs> and of course, Jesus hears and says, hey, hey, pipe down. In order so that you know that I can forgive this man's sins, man, pick up your mat and walk and go home. Amen. I could go on and on, and the stories happen again and again and again in the, in the Gospels. That Jesus is with the crowds, he's out with the people and his disciples, and they're walking along the way, and there comes a moment, and Jesus receives a nudge. And, and, he, and he elicits a response from him. C.S. 
See, where do we find Jesus? We find him with the people. We find him out with the crowds. We find him out in the community time and time again with folks who desperately need a touch of Jesus in a various number of ways. And working in tandem with God, he comes in these moments and he receives a nudge and it elicits a response that is needed in that day. What does Jesus see in all of these stories? He sees opportunities to show people where God is already at work. Already preparing folks for this encounter that they're going to have with Jesus. And it is different every time. How does Jesus decide who is going to dress? Again, I don't think he healed every sick person he came across in his life. I don't think he performed every miracle that he could have possibly performed. I don't think he, he did everything that was there. He did that which glorified God and helped people see God's purpose and plan for his life. So how did he decide? He listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit and obediently participated in the moment. Jesus was in the community and active while he was here. He is also active post his resurrection. We, we have record of that in the Gospels. After the resurrection, he appears to up, upwards of 500 people before he leaves. And he is active in the world today. And there are times for me, at least maybe for you, oftentimes for me that I fail to recognize Jesus working around me. Fail to step into the opportunities for If you have that, you walk away and you thought, oh, I should have. Jesus never did that. What is it about Jesus that he never walked away with, oh, I should have? And I do. How is it that, 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 I, that I fail to miss him? How is it that I fail to recognize Jesus' moment right here? There, there's several things I bring today, at least things that I know of in my own life, where I fail to recognize Jesus in my midst. Uh, one of them is, is, is we make distinctions between the sacred and the secular. We've trained ourselves to see God when we read the Bible, when we come to church, even in beautiful displays of nature. We did choose to see God and listen in certain situations, but not in others. Unfortunately, the very privilege of choosing when to be open means we miss God's presence in many of our other circumstances. We wrongly assume that God speaks in church but not in the pub or in our neighborhood. That God speaks in scripture but not through my favorite music. We live as though one is sacred and the other is not. Life is not sacred and secular. Life is simply life. Our faith is not a separate subject or activity among other things that we do. Our faith is the makeup of who I am. Jesus doesn't live in the pages of the Bible or wherever we have our daily devotions or even within the walls of this building. Jesus lives in us through the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, Jesus was excited to leave so that the Holy Spirit could work among and through us. So that we could see with our own eyes the work that he is doing in the lives of humanity to open people to the reality of existence and hope. 
Secondly, we're resurrection forward. What do you mean, resurrection forward? Well, Marianne Sawaki put it this way. Our fear is that a living God is not a God we can live with. God stuck between the pages of our Bible is a controllable God. We always have the option to snap the book shut. It's the living, breathing Jesus who is dangerous. We want control. He wants surrender. We want status quo. He wants transformation. We want to go with the flow. He wants to rock the boat. to recognize Jesus moments in my life because honestly I don't expect him to show up. Jesus shows up where we least expect him. He shows up more in brokenness than in blessedness. More in need than in abundance. More in the sick than the well. He may appear unfamiliar. Strange. It's strange to you. And will sometimes be frightening at first. It isn't expected. However, the unexpected is what we need most to expect. God leads us to the place where we don't know and can't see. He doesn't hand out blueprints. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? God, can I order up a pair of blueprints, please? That would be fantastic. If I could have blueprints for this week, thank you. That would be wonderful. Faith would not be a thing then. God calls us to live by faith. Jesus takes us to places where trust is most likely to grow. Where certainty is faint and where faith must be grown to. If I'm honest, I don't search for talked about them before, but I need to, for me, and you. We don't see him because we're trying to hide from him. What do I mean, we're trying to hide from him? Well, God doesn't enter where God is not invited, and Jesus does not force himself on us. Jesus is still at work, folks. He is at work everywhere around us, but he must be invited in. We must want the divine touch God to touch us. And there are times we don't want God's divine touch or to see Jesus working around us because we're trying to hide from him. Why? Honestly, we're willingly choosing disobedience over our favorite our favorite sin grows a wedge in a relationship with him. It's not that he's not working that we are, for the moment, more in love with our sin than we are with him. You been there? I've been there. We need to be aware of when we're there. And we need to repent. 
last one I want to talk about is, uh, the fifth one is, we set our expectations on top of God rather than submitting our expectations to Him. Have you ever done that? Thought of this really great thing and then gone to God and said, wow, you know, Jesus, if, uh, here, I thought about this thing, and it's going to be so cool, and if you'd bless that, that would be really good. Anybody ever done that? And then it doesn't happen, you're like, wow, Jesus, I don't know what happened. I, I worked so hard and I prayed about it, and he's like... Well, I was already at work, and I had this over here planned for you, um, and not this. I don't know what this was over here. But, um, I, you know, I don't know if that's bad broccoli or what, but, you know, I, I had you here. Um, surrender is a lifetime struggle. It is for me. Lack of surrender often shows up in our desire to control situations or work from our own efforts to figure things out. And then expect God to adopt our plan. But I would submit in order to see Jesus at work around us, we must submit our expectations to him and surrender to his will first. Any of those five resonate with you? You ever experienced those things? Man, I, I know here. I, I, I read it in the Gospels. That Jesus touched people. That the Holy Spirit worked through him and nudged him. And that in different ways, at different times, Jesus intersects a God moment and people are changed. I believe it happens today. And I know there are some things that, that I do, some things I don't do to get in the way of me. But I wanted to begin to recognize Jesus' sightings so that, so that I might participate in the kingdom work that he has prepared in advance to do. Paul, Paul promised us in Ephesians, he says, there is a work that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Folks, there is some stuff this week that there, there are some fields that, that are right for us. Some opportunities that God is working out for us in our life. And we just have to be ready and prepared and, and willing to step into the moment. Listen to the nudge. And to be a kingdom worker. There are three things that I want to leave you with that, would, that will help us do that this week. These are the things on your notes. First, we, we, we have to be present in the community. Jesus says the fields are white in it to harvest. What, what does that mean that the fields are ready for harvest? Well, that means that there are people that are ready to respond to the gospel message. And who are the gospel message bringers? Who? That means God has already been at work ahead of us. God has been nudging people towards a response. As a matter of fact, last week, one of the things that Sean shared with us is that at least in one survey... And I calculated the numbers out that there are over 50,000 people in the city of Gresham who would, on a survey, would say, I am nothing in regards to religion. I, I don't affiliate with any kind of religious denomination or belief system. 
Now, our tendency in the church is to go, oh, whoa, the sky is falling. Um, our city is going to hell in a handbasket. Um, nobody believes in God anymore. Jesus would say, no, let's look at it the other way. That means there are over 50,000 people who don't know who I am, who, don't, who are not messed up in what they've experienced in the past, and I am already working on them, and I am sending you out into those fields. And if that is the case, that means, folks, that there is plenty of opportunity for us to encounter people who God has already been working on and to simply be harvesters in the field. It would require that we be intentional to make community connections, to live and operate out in the world around us. However, to be present requires of us. It will require our time, our resources, our intentionality. You've been in the church for five years, and you're, don't say that, you're average, sorry, we're all average, um, typical. Um, you've been in the church for five years, typically, who is your surrounding and friends? Other church people. And what has happened to your ability to influence the world around you? It's drying up. And Jesus says, folks, we have a look. The fields are wide in the harvest. There are opportunities and moments for you. The Spirit is here within you. I left so that I might send them to you. And he's nudging you to opportunities to be with people who don't know me. And we will, when we listen, participate in the joy, in the joy of sharing a truth, in the joy of speaking wisdom into somebody's life, in the joy of giving comfort and lending support, the joy of being the hands and feet of Jesus in a world that is desperately in need of hope. But we have to be out present. Kids are growing up and leaving. Um, in fact, we, we start the track next week, and uh, by the end of the month, both my kids will be gone. And one of our natural community connections will be gone. Our kids are very active. They have things to do. We connect with people in the community through things our kids are doing. That leaves us. You know what that means now? That means I have to intentionally find new ways to connect with the people in my community that don't have a life of faith. That's going to require an investment to do that. But if I want to be a part of what God has already prepared in advance for me to do, I'm kind of excited to do that. Secondly, we need to be aware of Jesus' sightings. We need to be ready to participate in the work of the kingdom in saving the lost. And that is not so much about cognition, about knowledge. It's about recognition, about seeing with our eyes. Can we identify the face of Christ, the work of the Spirit, when he shows it to us? What is our receptiveness to the Spirit who appears in others and in one another? More than just painting a beautiful sky at sunset. More than just bringing a new life of a child. He gives us the opportunity to be comforted in the midst of another person's loss. He provides words of encouragement for those who feel beat down. He gives wisdom to share with someone 
who is lost. Remember, there is not sacred life and secular life. There is simply life. And where there is life, the Spirit is at work. And we need to pray for eyes to see and to be aware of the Spirit working in our midst, in our community. Our fear is that if we open up our mouth, we have to know the four spiritual laws, the bridge of salvation, the Roman road. We have to have some kind of plan together, and we don't. We just simply have to participate in what God has given us and see the moment. Leonard Sweet says, God uses more than one person to lead people to Christ. It may take 10, 15, 50. We may simply be number 23. George Hunter, a professor of evangelism at Asbury, said that 40 years ago, it took five significant encounters before a person would accept Christ. Today, he argues, it takes no less than 12 to 20 nudges. Only a few times are we privileged to be the closer. Our role, most times, is to simply be aware and to be attentive obedient to the nudge that helps someone see Jesus in a moment. The last thing is be attentive then to the Spirit. As Christians were promised the presence of the Holy Spirit, God residing within us, working in us through and through us to bring the truth of the kingdom to a broken and a lost world. He isn't steering us to religious activity, folks. Jesus is not steering us to busyness. He is guiding us toward God's directives and initiatives. We must then be aware of and obediently respond to the nudge that he gives us. The sometimes gentle nudge, the sometimes two by four up the side of the head. <laughs> but he had a two by four moment. Trust me, there was a nudge that you missed. <laughs> greatest directive and initiative is to go and to make disciples. To do this requires our presence outside of our comfort zone. To go means to leave that which is known and comfortable. To make a disciple is to make someone who is like Jesus. Someone who is in relationship with Jesus. Who's taking intentional steps to be just like Jesus. Who's doing the things that Jesus did. What did he do? He walked in the company of the unsaved. He touched the unclean. He took time to notice the children. He comforted the brokenhearted. At Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit descended on him. Not because Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to be forgiven of his sins, but simply to help us to notice that Jesus and his minister years was working in tandem or a trio with God. It was to help us to see that Jesus, as he walked in ministry, was being guided by the Holy Spirit. Both of them were listening to, to God's will in the moment. And in his years of ministry, the Holy Spirit simply nudged Jesus. And he was perfectly obedient. How about us? Let's be nudgers along the way as we're making disciples and enjoying discovering Jesus moments with people in fields that are ripe for harvest. Let's 
God, you are abundantly faithful, patient, kind, loving, forgiving. God, all of those attributes you are throwing upon the world around us. God, there is a work that you have prepared for us to do this week in advance. I know that means that there are people that you are nudging towards Jesus that we are going to intercept this week. God, the work that we need to do is simply listen to the nudge of the Holy Spirit and step in to the moment with the eyes of Jesus, a heart full of love, tenderness, and compassion, and to bring the light <laughs> what isn't being seen but is there. Holy Spirit,